0: Places, go ahead and take your Bibles and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are approaching the end of this chapter. We are approaching the end of this book study before you know it. As you're getting ready, let me just kind of draw your attention with this thought. Our current society does seem to be fairly consumed with body image issues, don't they? It happens to everybody. It's not just for females, for example. Listen, negative body image is a big deal these days, especially if you spend any time watching television or ads or social media or reality television, right? It makes people then dislike their bodies and then, by extension, themselves. And It can cause a lot of different negative behavioral issues as a result and just all kind of things flow from that perspective. Well, it may not surprise those of you who come regularly that personally, I think all of that focus on the external is just messed up. I think it's just messed up. But nevertheless, if you're saved, one day you're getting a new glorified body. (laughs) Praise the Lord, huh? And all the old people said, (laughs) amen. That's what we have in front of us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the greatest chapter in all the Bible on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have found ourselves to verse 35, and we will go all the way down to verse 50. The title I've given it is The Bodies of the Resurrection. And it begins with two questions. We'll just glance at it for a second. We'll read them again in a second. In verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? So although this question is, seems to be addressed from the mouth of a skeptic, well, how are they raised up and what body do they come? And I think that it's a skeptically asked question because Paul responds in the next verse, thou fool. But yet God wants us to know the answers to those questions. So actually the rest of the text gives us the answers to those questions. How are the dead raised up and with what bodies do they come? This is a very interesting subject actually. And while it may or may not affect your tomorrow, I think it should. It is a very interesting subject. It is God's truth. Everybody wants to know the details. They do, skeptic or not. And so God makes sure that we have the information. Today, not unlike other days, but more particularly today, this is Bible study day. We're going to dig a little bit, okay? So you're going to have to put your thinking caps on, and and some of you are more exercised in the scriptures, and will be able to hang with us the whole way, and some of you are newer and may get a little lost somewhere along the way. Don't be discouraged. Just get what you can, okay? Because by the time we get into this thing, we're going to be running, all right? So just fair warning. Having said that, let's, let me just pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, as we come before this particular passage of Scripture, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would take your Holy Word and reveal it to our hearts and help us to solidly understand the things that you desire for us to understand, the reason why you wrote it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we consider whatever temporary, light, brief struggles and sufferings we have in this current flesh, we'll always remember there's something much greater coming. There's something much greater coming. And so for that, we just praise you and we exalt you and we thank you and we bow before you. And we anticipate, Lord, great things as a result of our understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at these bodies in three different specific ways as we work our way through 16 verses of Scripture. The first way, I'm just saying, I'm just calling it new bodies. What are these bodies like? Well, they're, they're going to be new. That's what they're going to be. Let's read together verses 35-35. To thirty-eight, but some man will say, "How are the dead raised up? With what body do they come?" Thou fool! That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain; it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased Him, and to every seed His own body. So this is going to address the first question: How? Are the dead raised up? And the first simple answer is via death. Uh, That's fairly intuitive. Verse 36 says, except it die. Well, a seed put in the ground, except it die, doesn't spring forth something. So death has to precede a resurrection. That's fairly simple. But the other way is via the power of God, most certainly. As it says in verse 38, God hath given it a body. God hath given it a body. So in our human understanding, we think of death as the end. But it's not. Not with God. If you factor God in the equation, it's certainly not the end, right? So in verse 37, he gives us an illustration. And the illustration is sowing a seed to bear grain. This is similar to what Jesus said in John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So let's use the example of corn. Uh, Corn, by the way, if you didn't know, is a grain. (laughs) It's not a vegetable. It doesn't count for veggies. Corn is a grain. You make bread out of it. Plant one kernel. Plant one kernel of corn you get a huge stalk of corn. I mean, when it's growing, it grows so fast, you can almost watch it. It puts forth ears of corn that have rows and rows and rows of kernels of corn. One kernel of corn goes into the ground and dies, and what pops out of it? Well, an amazing, huge plant that is multiplied times more fruitful. The seed... That one seed, simple and all by itself, contains all the necessary elements to create that. Well, you have to add sunshine and water and air, which, for those of you Bible students, are all pictures and types of God himself. So in our lives, that we, our body is the seed. It will be planted in the ground and will spring forth into something new. These are new So continuing in our notes, applying this illustration, your current physical body is the seed. Your current physical body is the seed. And the illustration is going to play out. Letter A, it came from the ground. Your body came from the ground. From the very beginning, God created the first human body from the dust of the earth. Genesis 2-7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Our bodies are carbon based units. We come from the earth. That's where we come from. Letter B. We're now planted in the ground. When the body dies, it goes back to the ground. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, as well as other places. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So the dust that became our bodies will return to the dust of the earth. This is the biblical understanding of what our physical human bodies are all about. They came from the earth, they the ground, they planted back into the ground just like a seed, and then let her see the new body emerges from the seed. It emerges from the seed of the previous physical body. That's in our text. So it's the planting of the seed of the old body back into the earth that is the catalyst for the new body to spring forth. And it'll spring forth at the rapture of the church, which, spoiler alert, is next week. Come back next week, and we'll talk about that. Okay, the scriptures continue with that. Romans chapter 8, verse 21, "...because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty..." Of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it the redemption of our body. So our body is the the hull, the shell of the life that is in us, and if you are saved, that life that is in you is the very spirit of God that is in you, and when that seed is planted into the ground, it then that life emerges and springs forth into something much greater. Something much greater. Now, even though the physical material of the seed is involved in the creation of the new. The new is new. <laughs> it's not just a remake of the old. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's not just a bigger, shinier, better version of what you got now. It's new. But it does come forth from. There is something important about this body. There is something important. It is the seed. It bears the life. Which means, therefore, that the new body, in a sense, right, is also created from the dust of the ground. Both were created sinless and perfect. Adam originally was created from the dust of the ground, sinless and perfect. The new body that emerges from the dust of the ground after the dust of our body returns to the dust of the ground emerges sinless and perfect. See how God did that? The first one, Adam's body, that we then inherit, well, it was corrupted, was sin, but the second one will be incorruptible. We'll see that in a minute. So, since the new comes from the old, does it really matter what happens to our bodies after death, or doesn't it matter so much? Or, as I have often been asked, does the Bible forbid cremation? That's a question people have. And it's a fair question. Well, the simple answer is no. The Bible does not forbid cremation. Absolutely not. The dust of your body, according to the scriptures, right, will return to the dust of the ground. One way or another. One way or another. And if the molecules that make up the matter of your present body are necessary to produce the new body, and it appears that there's something to the fact that they do, then God is certainly able to bring them back together as necessary, right? will not you say so? And I understand that, you know, your method of burial for your loved ones is your choice. That's all fine, but there's no forbidding of such a thing in the Scripture that might have been popularized at one time. It's actually not a scriptural base. And for those that might consider that taboo, for example, I'm neither promoting nor denying. I'm just giving you information. I I just want to pose some questions for people who might think of it that way. Well, what do you think the bodies of those who died centuries ago and were buried in a box, what what do you suppose they look like? Um, What about people who die in fires? I mean, I don't want to get too weird with it, but what about people who drowned in the ocean and their bodies are never recovered? What about, forgive me, my mind goes to weird places. What about people who are eaten by cannibals? It's happened. Listen. If none of them were ever buried with their whole body in a box in the earth, are they disqualified from getting a new body? Of course not. It'd be ridiculous. How are the dead raised up? Well, it says, God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. So there is something valuable to this body, but at the end of the day, it's not just a remake of this thing. We get... It's all new. It's just a seed. That's what it is. So the first thing you need to know about the bodies of the resurrection is they're new. Glad you came to church. That was easy. <laughs> Number two. This is, I mean, this is not a difficult outline, although we'll get into some good stuff. They're better. Better bodies. They're new bodies, and they're better. Okay? Now we're going to read, starting in verse 39 down to 44. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory." so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. The new one is better. Of course the new one is better. All flesh is not the same flesh. Now we're building a case because by the time we get to the end, you're gonna need to remember all these stepping stones we're walking over, okay? There's two kinds of bodies and basically they come in two different categories. You have the terrestrial and you have the celestial. Terrestrial, terra firma, the earth, they're of the earth. They're natural, right? And they come in four categories. Men, beasts, birds, fish. You can take the time and go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the original creation, and what do we find? We find men, beasts, birds, and fish from the very beginning. Okay, they, they encompass men who are uniquely in the image of God, and then you have beasts, birds, and fish. You have land, air, and sea. And each one has its own body, right, that allows them to do what they need to do where they're living. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. The celestial, well, the examples given are from the second heaven, the sun and the moon and the stars, okay? We could say, and I think it's fair to, by the time we're done with this study, that it also applies to the third heaven, which would be, well, the heavenly creations, like angels, demons, cherubim, seraphim, the devil, okay? They, they also have celestial bodies, so terrestrial, celestial right? And so there's different kinds of bodies, and there's different kinds of glory, is what it says. Now, glory is always a word people get confused about. Glory is a thing that somehow, you know, we just think about, you know, the uh, Shekinah glory over the Ark of the Covenant, or whatever it is you think about. But the word glory is used a lot of different ways. And I think that if you just consider glory meaning honor, demonstration of power, or status, well, you'll find maybe the application a little more practical. One thing is for sure in the context of what we just read, and that is obviously verses 39 down through 41. That's just a, those are just illustrations to set up verse 42, but celestial glory is not the same as terrestrial glory, right? Celestial glory is greater than terrestrial glory. Right? The glory of the stars and the planets and the sun, it's different than that of the earth. There's no question about it. And so basically what he's trying to say is, just as we haven't all received the same physical body, although it's the same kind, I get it, with varying capabilities, right, each has their own, we also don't all shine the same either, do we? It, it, it kind of associates itself with your usefulness see okay so both now by the way whether that's the glory you receive for your usefulness now or in eternity actually and we'll see that in a second okay so verses 39 40 41 all of those bodies terrestrial celestial all the glories all the way that's set up that is all to illustrate the point he's trying to make in verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead Whatever it is you understand from that, look, all I'm really talking about, this is for you to get your mind around the resurrection. And in each case, again, this isn't really hard, the second one is better. In each case, the second one is better. It's sown in corruption. This is our corrupt flesh. It will raise in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. This is the life we live plagued by the sin nature that we have. Well, it's raised in glory. It's sown in In weakness, and when you get older, you realize, man, you're not as strong and weak, and we're just, you know, we're frail beings, and life is fleeting, and man, okay, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, that's what we have, but it's raised a spiritual body. And in the event that somebody might think that that's just hyperbole and not literally true, well, God knew you were thinking that. And so he made it really plain when he says in verse 44, there is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. Literally. Okay? So, in order to understand this better, I think what we need to do is we need to consider what is a body? Well, you know, okay. What is a body? What is it really? Well, I've given you a couple of things to consider. First, Your body is your suit, which makes you suitable for use in your current state, right? In other words, physically speaking, your physical body is your earth suit. You need to have your physical body so that you can function in a physical environment, right? It's the necessary clothing to be able to interact with your five physical senses. And so, like I said before, man, beasts, fishes, birds, they have bodies that suit them for the environment in which they live. If you're in water all the time, you need a body that'll suit you. If you're gonna fly around, you need a body that will suit you. If you're crawling around on the ground, you need a body that will suit you. That's what a body is. It's your suit, right? Similarly, the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim, the celestial categories, well, they are given bodies that suit them for the environment in which they live. You see? The scriptures give us some more insight when it says that your body is your tabernacle. It's your tabernacle. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First couple of verses. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Now what he's talking about is his physical body. He's talking about coming to the end of his life, he's not talking about the tabernacle of Israel in the wilderness before they built a temple in the earthly. No, he's talking about his body. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. So there is coming a new version, a better version, and a tabernacle is a great picture because the tabernacle was literally just a tent. It was a a tent made of animal skins. It was a tent of flesh that covered ultimately in the Old Testament the very life of God on the inside as represented through the Ark of the Covenant and all the instruments that were within that represent the different aspects of the Trinity of God. And so with that, your body literally is just that. It is the housing for the life that you're going to live in the environment in which you're going to live. But again, very simply sticking with our outline without question, the, the second one is better than the first one, of course. Okay, so let's dig down a little deeper and make sure we understand what's going on. Next in your notes, the real you is your soul. So the real you isn't your body, The real you is who you are, your your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality. Who you are is who you are, and it's your soul, and your soul resides inside your body looking out the eye holes at all of us, right? In other words, none of you here has ever seen Jeff Bartell. You've only seen my body. I'm sorry, it's not a better presentation. (laughs) But the real me is not physically visible to you. It's not, and I've never really seen you either. Because the real you is your soul. That's who you are. And the soul, according to Genesis 2-7, is life. That's where life comes from, right? God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living soul. He became a living soul, because before that, he already formed the body out of the dust of the ground, and it was just a shell, and he was like, hmm, I like that. Something's missing, oh yeah, needs life, breathes into it the breath of life, and then he became a living soul. So truly, thank God for those of you who have given your life and energy to study medical science, and you understand the intricate workings of the phenomenon that is our physical bodies, and, and, and you know how things are supposed to work, and how to fix things when they don't work, and all that sort of thing, but medical science, understanding the body, still has no clue about where that spark of life comes from. Well, unless they're Bible believers. Unless they're Bible believers. Because they can't come to that conclusion otherwise just through the physical understandings. You see, life is given by God. And therefore... Since life is given by God, all it life, well, it's eternal. It's eternal. And can I say, regardless of your choice for salvation or not? Life, human life, is eternal. Which means that death is never the end of life. And for you to think of it in those terms is false. Death is never the end of life. Rather, death, literally defined, is separation. That's what it is. Death is separation. So physical death is nothing more than your soul separates from your body. The body is then planted back into the ground. The soul, well, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Right? Rachel was dying, and it says in Genesis that as her soul was departing, see, There's something to that. So it's just the separation from your physical body. Well, you know what spiritual death is then? Well, that's separation from God. But your life is going to continue even if you're a Christ rejecter. In both cases, by the way, saved or lost, you get a new body that's going to last forever. Even in hell, you get a new body. You wish you didn't. Because this new body will be so equipped that you will be able to exist in that environment of a lake of fire in torments forever without that body being consumed by the flames. There's new bodies. Verse 38 said, But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed, saved or lost, his own body. So we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched and notice. Where their worm, their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I'm going to let you take that thought home and do some Bible study if you want to, but there is something about a new body for lost people that will live forever in the flames, and it is personalized and connected to those who refuse to deal with their sin here and now and it's associated with a body that is referred to as a worm. That's what it's associated with. So the resurrected body is better, well, if you're saved, it's better. (laughs) Actually, if you're not saved, it's worse in the sense that you'll have to endure hell forever. Okay, let's go to our third point. The body is new, the body is better, fairly intuitive. And lastly, the body is heavenly. It's a heavenly body. Start in verse 45. And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit, howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So there are only two men in the Bible. Well, you say, that's weird. There's a lot of men. Okay, well, let me define this for you because the name Adam Literally translated means man. God made Adam. He called his name Adam. Actually, he called both their names Adam, but that's another conversation. It literally means man. So God said, man. (laughs) Okay, that's Adam. That's what it means. And in this dialogue, we are to understand there's the first Adam, Garden of Eden Adam, that fell and sinned, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, now we're introduced to the last Adam, which is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. These two men represent for us what we sometimes refer to as a federal head. The federal head means that you are in your life today, if you're alive and breathing and listening to this, you are either in Adam, still in your sinful state, or you are in Christ, There's only two categories. You're either saved or you're lost. And that's the idea. The first Adam represents the life of physical, earthy beings. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, represents the life of heavenly, spiritual beings. That's what it represents. So that's what it says. In verse number 45, it says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Again, going back to Genesis 2-7. That the first man, Adam, was made, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, as it is written, Genesis 2-7. And so, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, it says, was made a quickening spirit. Okay, so Jesus is the one to quicken, means to make alive. Jesus is the one who makes us alive, right? Quickened. So Ephesians 2, verse number 1, And you hath he, Jesus, quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So before you were lost, your spirit was a dead spirit. You had to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your body, gives life to your previously dead human spirit, hence the term born again, he quickened you. He's a quickening spirit. John 5, 21, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And in Romans 8, verse 11, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, how? By his spirit that dwelleth in you. Oh, wait a minute, is it Jesus or is it the spirit? Yes. That's the answer. It's yes. Christ lives in me. You find verses to that effect. The spirit of God lives in me. Yes. The spirit of Christ. Okay. All of the above. I want you to also see that anytime time two men are associated together in Scripture, the second one is always better than the first. You say, why didn't you put this in the previous section? I want to put it here. I'm writing the sermon. The first Adam and the second Adam, I want to put it here. You've got Cain and Abel. Well, Cain was evil. Cain was a murderer. Cain, it is said of Cain that he was of that wicked one. Right? And Abel, he was a shepherd. He was killed, he was innocent, but he was murdered, type of Christ. You have Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is a child of the flesh, Isaac is a child of the promise. You've got Esau and Jacob, right? The firstborn is always messed up. Your first birth is messed up. You must be born again. That's the message. Esau loved the flesh, despised his birthright. Jacob, later Israel becomes the father of all the chosen people of God. Moses and Joshua. Well, Moses is a good dude, but it was incomplete. He couldn't bring the children of Israel into the promised land. They needed Joshua, Hebrew word for Jesus, Jehovah saves, yeah. who's victorious in battle and led his people all the way to the end. Yeah. You have Adam and you have Jesus Christ. Need we say more? Verse 46. The first one is natural, it's physical. It's it's earthy. The second one is spiritual. Right? Verse 47, it's terrestrial, earthy. The second one is celestial or heavenly. It's important. So look at verses 48 and 49. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We're getting a bead now on what it's going to be like, these bodies. And as we have borne the image... Of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So, the image of the earthy is described for us. It's very clear. Obviously, we're all kind of the same, and we're just like Adam after he sinned. We know that from Genesis chapter 5, where it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. Genesis 5 is after Genesis 3 when the sin took place, right? In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. That would have been before sin. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created, well, between verses 2 and 3, they sinned. Verse 3 says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son, notice, in his own likeness, after his image and called his name Seth. So by the time Seth shows up, listen, all of us then inherit the image and likeness of our earthly federal head father, Adam. As is the earthy, so are we earthy. As his image was after sin, well, so our image is now. What did Adam look like? Well, after sin, he looked like us. He looked like us. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Praise the Lord. We receive Christ. We are currently the sons of God, but it says it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're still in the seed, see? But we know that when he shall appear, oh yeah, that's the rapture. Come back next week, by the way. Did I say that? (laughs) We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Of the heavenly, for example, notice Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen, we don't have to take the time in this church, especially not now, to talk about what predestination biblically really is. You're never predestinated unto salvation, but once you freely receive the gift of salvation, you are immediately predestinated to finish that journey and to ultimately be totally and fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Not the image of Adam. Philippians 3.21, we're starting to narrow it down. Who shall change our vile body, that's what we got now, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we will bear Christ's heavenly image his glorified image and the characteristics are it says well it was sown in corruption it'll raise in incorruption it'll be incorruptible well that means that it can't rot or decay or decompose or break down it'll be raised in glory it'll be worthy of honor what exactly do we know I wish we had the time we just don't What do we know about Christ's resurrected body? What have we seen Christ do in those 40 days after his resurrection? Well, he can travel faster than the speed of light. He's perfectly sinless. He can be both visible and invisible, and he can pass through solid objects. Where does it say all that? I don't know, go find it. I mean, I know, but you find it. Because I gotta get to this next one, and you gotta get to it too. And that's verse 50. But by the way, by the way, I didn't just make that stuff up. That's in there. And that's what your body's going to be like. Read about Christ after his resurrection and pay attention to how he could maneuver and how things went. Verse 50 flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we just heard and read all about how we get a new and better flesh. So I guess we can conclude that. The problem with our earthly bodies is in the blood. Because flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to notice with me something about Jesus' resurrected body. It had no blood. Luke 24, 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. Where's the blood? As you see me have. By the way, Jesus in his resurrected state is not a spirit. It's a spiritual body. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Handle me, see, come. I am flesh and bone. You think God forgot to mention the blood thing? Oh no, no, no. I want you to notice Adam's body before sin. No blood. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now, notice, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Where's the blood? And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. If you are a Bible believer, you can't deny that. If you want to twist the scriptures and deny them and not believe them, well, you know, it's a free country. But that's what it says. If you're willing to agree that that is obviously stated such on purpose, well then, you have to come to the conclusion that the blood must have come through the act of sin. We receive blood as a result of that act of sin of Adam and Eve. That's where the blood entered in. And, well, we know that sin entered because they ate a particular fruit that they were forbidden to eat. Oh, now it's getting interesting, isn't it? Now it's getting interesting. You know that all through the Bible, God forbids the eating of blood. You've seen that, right? And so we don't need to look at the references, but in Genesis 9-4, it was before the law. In Leviticus nineteen twenty six, and many other places, it was under the law of Moses, And in Acts 15, 29, it's after the law. In other words, this is not just an Old Testament legal thing that, well, you know, that was then. No, it was before the law, it was under the law, it was after the law. There's something about the blood. God says don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Well, let's dig a little deeper. The blood is particularly interesting because it's the life of the flesh. The blood is the life of the flesh of the flesh. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it unto you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. We'll get back to that. So we know that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. Why? Because the flesh has its own life. Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the of. Of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And there is something about this spiritual entity of the flesh. You run the references on all the usages of the word the flesh. And there are times when it's a spiritually focused passage, like Galatians 5, where it is that spiritual negative force of sin. There's other times when it's just the flesh. It's just, it's just your body. It's just synonymous with body. It just depends on the context. But in this context, when it's evil, well, there's got to be something to that. Well, the life of the flesh, it has its own life. And that life is found in the blood. That's why the shedding of blood is necessary For the atonement of sin. We saw that in Leviticus 17. We see it in Hebrews 9.22. Almost all things by the law are purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Why is that important? You have to get rid of the blood if there's going to be an atonement. You can't keep the blood. The blood is messed up. What's wrong with you? It's your blood. That's what's wrong with you. Well, you can't get rid of it. Well, I mean, you know. it be the end of your physical life. It's the life of the flesh. That's what it is. You tracking? How you doing? No blood before sin. No blood after sin. It came with the act of sin. The act of sin came with eating a fruit. Oh, wait a minute. We're not allowed to eat blood anywhere in the Bible. And there's only one forbidden fruit in all the Bible. You know what it is? Well, let's read. Numbers chapter 6. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. The only fruit, not meat, fruit that's forbidden, it's a grape. Why? Because it's associated with blood. Didn't you catch that? Deuteronomy 32:14, butter of kine and milk of sheep, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the fat of kidneys and wheat, and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. Do you see that? Say that's a mistranslation? I'd say you're a mistranslation. Matthew 26, 28 and 29, because Jesus said, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Go back to that Garden of Eden. There was only one tree that was forbidden to be eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all those cute little kitty cartoons show that snake wrapped around that branch offering even apple. Nope, sorry. Not comparing scripture with scripture, he didn't. That tree, as it said earlier, is a vine tree. You say a vine's a vine, it's not a tree. Oh, listen, I've seen a vine in Albania. That grew so large, the trunk of it, I couldn't get my arms around if there were two of me. They'll keep growing, and they'll grow up, and they'll look like trees. I've seen them. God called it a vine tree. That ought to be enough for you. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was a vine tree. That's what it was. And they ate a grape. That's what they ate. Oh, that's interesting. Who cares? Okay, well, whatever. All these things are associated to prove and to show why flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and bones can. You see, it's ultimately not just the flesh thing. It's the blood thing. That's the thing you've got to be worried about. With what body do they come, we asked in verse 35. Well, one just like Jesus' resurrected body. And I know it's late and it's time to quit, but let me just throw this in for free. I'd say that it's going to be 33 years old. You cannot believe that if you want to. That's fine. It's up to you. But if a person, if a a baby tragically dies, one, two years old, you think they're going to be a baby forever? Uh, Some people live to be 90, 100, 110. Are they really going to be 110 forever? No, you're going to be in the prime of life. What is the prime of life? Well, the Bible tells you it was Jesus' age. It was 33. That's what it was. Okay, well, that's just my opinion. You roll with that however you want to. I think it's right. (laughs) You can't say you didn't come here and get something to think about. We're going to get a new body that comes from the seed of the old. It will be significantly better than the one we have now, hallelujah, because it'll be a heavenly body just like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to, guys. That is what God promises to all who are saved. I guess the only thing left to deal with is, are you saved? Are you saved? So, let's just pray about that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today, and by any chance, nobody's looking around, I don't want anybody to look around. If you,